So a few years ago, atheist Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, God is Not Great. As I've shared before, nobody does anything in a vacuum, whether it's write a book, you know, song lyrics, uh, movie, TV show, there's always more to the story. Now, Christopher Hitchens died a few years ago, and there's some stories he was moving into faith before he died. Hope that's true. But a lot of people liked the book. They were atheists and talked about how intellectual he was. But it's not exactly an intellectual book alone. Christopher Hitchens had a background very unique that led to what he lived as an atheist. As a child, his mother ran away with another man. And her and this man then became married. And oddly enough, tragically, they had a suicide pact. And so as a child, his mother left, had an affair. Then her and this new husband took their own lives. Now you can understand a little bit more where Christopher Hitchens, this person who was one of the best known atheists in the world, what his background was. But there's a whole lot more to that story I'll get to here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is writing to Corinth, and the people he is writing to were kind of bragging about their abilities, the things they accomplished. And so 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, what do you have that God has not given you? What do you have that God has not given you? He then goes on to say, since everything's a gift from God, we should live in gratefulness, gratitude to that gift. And not boasting in just our own strength and ability, but as Paul said, I boast in the cross. So let's take a look at some things here. I want to give you some examples from current history as well as some past examples of some principles. Maybe your life won't look at all like the lives we consider, but the principles apply that we want to live our life in a sense to say, since God's given me all things, then I want to live in a way that reflects that gratitude for him. So let me give you some examples here. This is fascinating study, Jeff Strite, talking about post-traumatic growth. So we know post-traumatic stress is when somebody has a trauma, and that trauma then is a part of their life that they're wrestling with. Well, what they found as counselors you know, saw people go through challenges and what led to PTSD, some came out the other side, and their whole life was changed in a positive way. And so it's known as post-traumatic growth. And there's a few things that apply to people that said, this is what was key for me to take my challenges and turn them into this growth. So the first thing before growth can take place is one needs to choose to embark on the journey of recovery. We're going to look at a, a man here in a moment, over 700 pounds. And the same thing applies to him, applies to you, to me. It has to start with that choice that today is that day that things are going to be different. So once there's that choice made, there's a few other characteristics that people said, these were key for me to change my life from PTSD to post-traumatic growth and apply this to your own life as well. You know, again, you may not have anything that was a uh, uh, comparable to some of the examples here, but take the principle no matter what the change is. Number one, they said acceptance. There's two sides to acceptance. One, accept defeat or accept this moment is a path to growth. Number two, affirmation. You can affirm the world is dark or you can affirm there is goodness and meaning in life. 
We'll see in a moment, Isaiah gives a, a, just a stunning definition of a world without God. We'll see that in a moment. So do you affirm the world is dark or do you affirm that there's goodness meaning to life? Number three is determination. Do you determine life controls me or do you, ter- do you determine, listen, if I can survive this, I can survive anything. I can overcome this with God's help. Number four is faith. In the midst of difficulties, there's two choices. People wonder, does God care? Others say, you know what? When the fog lifted, I realized God was there. He didn't shield me from the challenge, but he gave me grace to endure it, to learn it. And then the last one here, unselfishness. Do I see only my own needs and pain? Or do I seek out others to serve and help them find healing as well? So let's start here with this gentleman. His name is Matt Entzen. He's a part of an online group I'm a part of where there's tremendous coaching with Tony Robbins and his company. And, and Matt, this is just this year, this story came out. In January, Matt weighed over 700 pounds, had not left his bed five years. He was 24 hours a day on a CPAC machine. He started to, to gain a lot of that weight the last few years and until, again, five years ago, he became bedridden, some real personal challenges, depression, things like that. Doctors said to him, you'll never walk again. So again, here's the, the moment. Do you choose to say, I'm going to use this to grow or do I choose to, to give up? So as I've shared before, Norman Cousins, great advice that he gives, you can appreciate the diagnosis, but deny the verdict. So the doctors told Matt, you'll never walk again. You'll be on this 24-7 oxygen for life. So he had to make a decision. Do I believe that? It's been five years. He hasn't left the bed. Suddenly he comes to this group in January where people talk about you can make a change when you make a decision that today I'm going to make the necessary alteration to my life to reach the goal I want. You know, as Tony Robbins says, fear is you imagining the worst. Faith is you imagining a higher purpose. So let me give you an example of some people that went from a challenging background. You know, they might have had what we say is, you know, the the PTSD, and they now have that post-growth, you know, that we want to see in our own lives. These are studies done by Victor and Mildred Gertzel. They studied 300 successful people that were known in history to see if there's some common denominators about their background. They looked at people like the Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Gandhi, Einstein, 300 people like that down through history. And here's what they found. Three-fourths of them as children endured poverty and broken homes, parents that rejected them. Those that were writers, think about this, 74 out of 85 writers came from homes where they experienced, quote, tense psychological drama. What that means is their parents screamed and abused each other. Over one-fourth of them suffered physical handicaps, you know, blindness, deafness, maybe, maybe a, a crippled limb, and yet they became people that became world changers. Again, the first part is that choice. Today is that day because what have I not received in life? That's a gift from God. And so I want to live in a place of 
gratefulness to Him. As I've shared many times, you know, that it's so true. You know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional because suffering is when somebody feels they're helpless to make a change. We can always make a change, though, whether it's a change in the circumstance or a change in the meaning behind this. And so, again, from those examples, they could have said the circumstance and the meaning is dark and empty. But they said, you know, the circumstance was was painful, but the meaning I give to that is I'm going to use this to grow and change the world for a better place so others don't have to endure what I did. You know, in John chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he's speaking to the crowd, and some in that crowd, they say, do another miracle. Do another miracle, and we will follow you. And they bring up the example of manna, and manna, they said, was every day. And they want to see another miracle. And Jesus says, it's not about a miracle. It's about your choice to believe and obey the promises of God. And then he says this in John 6, 27 to the people. They just want to see more. He says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not work for food that spoils. He's not just talking about food. He's talking about anything in life. You know, the manna, it, it spoiled after a day. And some were obsessed with they wanted more. And he said, it doesn't last. Are you going to give your life to the things that don't last? Or are you going to give your life to the food that endures to eternal life following what Jesus tells us to do? None of us are perfect in this arena. We all pursue at times that stuff that does not last that stuff that spoils but the challenge is to say you know i want to have less of that pursuit of what spoils my life be more about that which endures to eternal life and to do it from a place that says you know because i've received the gifts from god so matt here's the challenge 720 pounds bedridden for five years CPAC machine but then he said this here's the key distinction he made when he made a choice in January he was going to change he said I divorced myself from the past I stepped into a new identity for the future it's great advice to divorce that identity from the past that one of limitation and whatever meaning that was there that held us back and say, I'm going to step into a new identity. One who's received all gifts from God and pursue things that are worth the eternal life. So what did Matt do in bed? Somebody got him some weights and he couldn't even sit up. He's on his back, but he started to to move these weights. So a few weeks went by and suddenly, you know, he's able to actually sit up in bed for the first time. And then he does some more exercises and he gets some more intensity. And then suddenly he's at the edge of the bed. His legs are hanging over. Then more weeks go by. And then suddenly he does something he hasn't done in years. He stands up. Remember the doctor said you'll never walk again, but he keeps working at it. Sure enough, then he starts taking some steps. Another few weeks goes by. He says, I'm going to get to the front door. Then one day he goes outside. He hasn't left his bed in five years. Now he's outside. He said, the first time now in years I've seen the sun breathe the air. 
He keeps going. He keeps going. Eventually, he gets down to the park. He's been doing this since January now. Here we are in August. And he posted just a, a few days ago to the group a picture of him smiling with his family and doing something else he hasn't done in years, driving a car. Because it's about taking that step that says, I choose today. I'm going to reflect a life that says, God has given me the gift. You know, Jeff Streit shares about a man he said told me about watching a gardener he was transplanting some flowers and he watched in amazement as this man took the flowers out of their pots and shook them very roughly. He thought this man was going to destroy the flowers. And so he said to him, why do you handle the flowers so harshly? And the gardener said, the flowers that come here have roots that are crammed in those little pots. And what I do is loosen that soil and give the roots a chance to breathe and stretch. Sometimes we need to have life become, you know, this shaking to, to pull us out of slumber and move us into action and move us into belief where faith says, I believe all things, I hope all things, I trust all things. The song by Douglas Lumsden says, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Love this here, Douglas Lumsden. He's an author at this time. He, he shared this here just a few days ago, but he said it like this, for what it's worth, I was 43 when I got a PhD. I was 51 when I started my dream job. I was 54 when I married the love of my life. I was 55 when I ran my first marathon. I was 67 when I self-published my first book. I turned 70 next year and I run 20 miles a week. It's never too late. It's never too early to make that decision. Again, pain is part of life, but suffering is optional because suffering means you feel helpless to make a change. But in any moment, we can change the circumstance. We can change the meaning. Love this here. C.S. Lewis, also at one time an atheist. He's one of the most beloved writers and theologians. Of course, he wrote the the Narnia series, but after moving from atheist to believer, he wrote one of the most popular books on theology, Mere Christianity. And he said this, my prayer is that when I die, all of hell rejoices, I am out of the fight. My prayer is when I die, all of hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. We might as well have that same sense of calling in our life. Mark Baker shares, pain is only a force that pushes you. You know, the challenges in life, they push us to, uh, again, to move in, into a place of growth and contribution, or do they move us to, to pull back in life? Here's a, another beautiful story. Let this become another, you know, daily principle for life here. This is a gentleman, went to see Mark Baker for counseling, and his name was Adam. 
It shows that Adam showed up and you know he was kind of beaten down by life as Adam shared. He had this dream. He was going to be a, a pastor, he said. And I was going to go to seminary. And I started going to college. And my girlfriend, she's going to college. And we get married. And then she gets pregnant. We're going to have our first child. He says when the child was born, she had some very, very serious medical problems and he said i i had to drop out of school and and get a job so i'd have insurance and be able to to take care of my new child and so he said the direction of my life it, it changed greatly but listen to what he says here saint francis said preach the gospel everywhere when necessary use words i understand that now i'm just trying to be the gospel for my daughter I'm just trying to be the gospel for my daughter. Fill in the blank for you. I'm just trying to be the gospel for life is a whole lot different. Again, when we stop like Paul and say, listen, I don't have anything that God has not given me. So let me share Isaiah here. Isaiah is writing about what it is to live in a godless world. And he's writing here Isaiah chapter 8 because Israel has forsaken God. Think about the parts of the world that we, we see always, you know, with the talking heads in the media, things like that. What is it like to have a godless world? Isaiah 8.22 They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Those without faith, without God, what do they see in the world? Distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Does that not help us understand again the negativity in the world, the fears, the upheavals, the unrest? There's another side to that, though, where Isaiah says, for those without God, it's distress and darkness and fearful gloom they anticipate he goes on to talk about then life in the light and life in Christ and to see again throughout Scripture why it defines sin as darkness and faith as light. And Jesus calls us to be a light to those in the darkness so they can see their way out of that. As John Wesley said, you know, preach it until you believe it. Take the words and confess scripture and speak it forth and proclaim it till it becomes part of your very life, your very being, very part of who you are. Again, nobody lives in a vacuum. So let's take the, the words of believers either, you know, seek out and know Christ and let that be the experience of your life. So you can see the difference between those who proclaim and see only distress and brokenness and those who say, I see God's grace and mercy and possibility in life. You know, again, Christopher Hitchens, he wrote one of the best-selling atheist books. He didn't write that book in a vacuum. As a child, his mother ran away with another man and she and this man made a tragic, terrible suicide pact and in their lives. To make a little more sense why Christopher Hitchens became such an outspoken atheist who saw only distress and gloom. 
Here's something you may not know, though. This is Peter Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens' brother. Just a couple years apart. Peter also grew up in that same circumstance. His mother ran away with another man. Together they took their own lives. Peter Hitchens as well for a while shared the anger and the darkness and the doubt. He said, I became a violent child. I became a violent man. Here's how he described himself. Numberless acts of betrayal, ingratitude, disloyalty, dishonor, failure to keep promises or meet obligations, oath-breaking, cowardice, spite, pure selfishness. And he would go on to say, nothing I could now do or say could possibly atone for that. Like his brother, he was an atheist for a while as well. But then after all these terrible things he did, he started to say, why do I feel a sense of guilt? If there's no right or wrong, if it's just your opinion about what's right or wrong and my opinion about right or wrong, and nobody should feel guilt. He goes on to say this, left to himself, man, in a matter of minutes can justify violence and wickedness. I have heard people that believe themselves to be good people defend such things and more. So everybody has their opinions, their own arena in which they try to say, this is where I'm good and this is what I define as morals. But he said there, gets us nowhere. Because good people do terrible things and justify it. There must be a truth beyond people that defines what's good and bad. That's why we feel a sense, he said, inside of right and wrong, even when we do our worst. And he said, where does that come from? It can't come from people because they don't have any moral authority. He said, there must be another source outside ourselves that defines truth and right and wrong. So he went on a spiritual search, started to go to church, started to read books on theology. And he said his whole world was turned upside down when he read, as he said, the most powerful expression summed up simply this. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Of course, the words of Jesus himself. And as he would share, you know, here's somebody in the midst of all the dark distress and sin that says, you want to know what life is about? You want to know what it is to live a higher purpose? Learn to lay down your life for another. Learn to be last. Learn to die to self. And as Peter Hitchens said, when I read that, I knew I had found the answers to life. Now, Peter Hitchens is a preacher. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. May our prayer be that when we die, all of hell rejoices we are out of the fight. Until that day, may we live in a sense of gratitude for all the gifts of God. In Jesus' name.